Madam Chair, we are ready to begin. Good morning and welcome to the August 18, 2023 regular meeting of the San Francisco Ethics Commission. Today's meeting is being live cablecast on SFGov TV and stream live online at sfgovtv.org slash ethics live. For public comment, members of the public may attend in person or may participate by phone or the web as platform as explained in our agenda document. Um, Mr. Clerk, can you please explain how the remote public comment will be handled today. Thank you, Madam Chair. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each member of the public will be allowed three minutes to speak. For those attending in person, opportunities to speak during the public comment period will be made available here in room 400 City Hall. For those attending remotely, public comment period can also be provided via phone call by calling 1-415-655-0001. Again, the phone number is 1-415-655-0001. Access code is 2662-072-4697. Again, access code is 2662-072-4697, followed by the pound sign, then press pound again to join as an attendee. When your in item of interest comes up, press star three to raise your hand to be added to the public comment line. Public comment is also available via the WebEx client application. Use the WebEx link on the agenda to connect and press the raise hand button to, add, to be added to the public comment line. For detailed instructions about how to interact with the telephone system or WebEx client, please refer to the public comment section of, of this agenda document for this meeting. Public comment may also be submitted in writing and will be shared with the Commission after this meeting has concluded and will be included as part of the official meeting file. Written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Once again, written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Members of the public who, who attend uh, start. Members of the public who attend Commission meetings, including remote attendance, are also expected to behave responsibly and respectfully. During public comment, please address your comments to the Commission as a whole and not to individual members. Persons who engage in name-calling, shouting, interruptions, or other distracting behavior may be excluded from participation. The following behaviors or activities are strictly prohibited during remote participation. Applause or vocal expression of support or opposition. Signs regardless of content or mes message. Profanity. Threats of physical aggression. The prohibition on signs does not apply to clothing, which includes signage pinned to clothing, messages displayed on clothing, pins, hats, or buttons. This provision supplements rules and policies adopted by City Hall, the Sheriff's Office, or the Board of Supervisors related to decorum, prohibited conduct or activities, noise, etc., and is not meant to be exhausted. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. I call the meeting to order. Let's go to agenda item number one, which is roll call, please. Commissioner Flores Fang. Aye. Commissioner Finley. Aye. Chair Lee. Present. Commissioner Salahi. Present. Madam okay. Chair, with four members present and accounted for, you have a quorum. Thank you. Let's go to agenda item number two, 
which is general public comment. Would anyone in the audience wish to speak? Commissioners, my name is Francisco da Costa. I have been involved with the Ethics Commission since its beginning. This commission's operation is now corrupt and fails to meet the Charter's requirement on the voters' direction. You may think you can hoodwink the public, but the time has come now to take this matter to a higher level. I will just state one thing. The secretary, for example, of this commission should be independent. It is not. What this commission has done or come to in recent years is be a lackey of certain very evil and corrupt entities in City Hall. We know this. I participated in the Sunshine Task Force that has been destroyed. As I stated, I participated in the Ethics Commission. This is San Francisco. We uplift one another. We do not take people into a cesspool. What has been created today, commissioners, is that y'all are being anointed by very corrupt people to do very corrupt actions, much like what is happening with Donald Trump. Much like what is happening with Donald Trump. This is San Francisco. And if the Sunshine Task Force and the Ethics Commission doesn't do right, then we will fail. Oftentimes, I call from home. Today, I'm here to pay my respects to Charlie Mark Steller, who often came here and spoke truth to power. Recently, he passed away in an SRO. His body was found many days after his death. This is the plight of our advocates. We fight, has expired. but nobody respects us. Thank you. Anyone else who, in the room who wish to address the commission? If not, let's go to the remote queue, please. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Okay, public comment uh, is closed. Now let's go to agenda item number three, um, consent calendar. Uh, 
There will be no separate discussions on the consent calendar item unless a request is made by a commission member or a member of the public, uh, in which event the matter will be removed uh, from the consent calendar. Uh, would any member of the commission wish to any items? I see none. I see none from the audience. Uh, so let us go to public comment on consent item number three, which is draft minutes of the Ethics Commission July 14, 2023 regular meeting. Number four, acting executive director's report. Number five, proposed stipulation, decision, and order in the matter of Frank Fung. Six, proposed stipulation, decision, and order in the matter of San Francisco Bicycle Coalition. Um, San Francisco Bicycle Coalition Education Fund, Brian Weidenmeyer and Janice Lee. Let's go to public comment. Anyone in room? I see none. Let's go to the queue, please. Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes okay. begins now. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Uh, David Pilfo, good morning. Um, on the draft minutes, um, there was, oh, I believe somewhere, I, I'm having trouble finding it right now, uh, referred to uh, someone, maybe it was at the end, someone uh, stated, and I think the word that was listed was stated. Uh, yeah, uh, page nine, uh, Chair Lee asked Russie, and perhaps it should refer uh, to Deputy Sony, City Attorney uh, Brad Russie as DCA Russie or something. Uh, if he had anything to add, he stated no. I think that should be stated. Um, and I think there was some other, there was uh, some other on, uh, clarity about uh, a couple of the uh, votes. Um, perhaps if, if uh, someone on, on staff or elsewhere could just uh, do another read uh, through the minutes, uh, I think there may be some uh, clarifying uh, edits that would be helpful. Uh, nothing substantive, uh, but I think to the extent that the minutes reflect um, the actions taken and our, uh, the record of those actions, uh, they should be as, as accurate as possible. Um, I think those are uh, my comments at this time. Thanks very much for uh, listening. Thank you. Able to capture that? Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Were you oh. able to capture the comments? I, I was having some. The minutes could be amended to reflect that spelling okay. correction if the okay. commission wants Thank to approve. Thank you. Any other callers? Uh, no. There's no further callers in the queue, Madam Chair. Okay. Public comment is closed. Uh, colleagues, do I entertain a motion to approve the consent? Oh, the consent calendar is subject to whatever spelling fixes staff make in the draft minutes. Second. Second. Roll call, please. A motion has been made. I will now take roll. Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Finlan? Aye. Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Salahi? Aye. Madam Chair, with four votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Okay. Now let us go to 
Item number seven, which is election of commission vice chair per ethics commission bylaws, article four, section one. Um, I wish to ask our acting um, deputy director, Mr. Messi, to provide an overview of the process for nominating and electing the uh, vice chair for the the coming year that ends in February. Okay. Thank you, Madam Chair. The Commission's bylaws do not provide for a specific method for the election of its officers. The Commission has customarily employed the following procedure for the election of its officers. Any Commissioner who wishes to nominate a candidate for Vice Chair will state the name of that person. That person agrees to run. That person is nominated. Commissioners may also self-nominate for Vice Chair. When there are no further nominations and after public comment, the chair will close the nominations and take a roll call vote in which each commissioner shall state the name of the nominee for whom he or she is voting. If a nominee receives three or more votes, that person is elected vice chair. If no nominee receives three votes, the commission may have further discussion and proceed to another vote. This process shall repeat until one nominee has received three or more votes. Let us open the floor for any nominations for vice chair. I'd like to nominate Tice, Commissioner Finlev. If none, nomination is closed. Uh, let's take public comment, please. I see none here. A second. A deputy city attorney, Brad Rossi, commissioners. I don't think you need a second for the nomination of an officer in this situation. Thanks. Okay. So let us go to public comment. <clears throat> commissioners, if you read Robert's rules. You'll understand the statement that I made. Now, having said that, let me state, because I know there are a lot of people listening to me at home. I stated that this commission needs to have standards. And I see, and I've been here for a long time, many years, and I see that on our commission today, we need uh, candidates that reflect the wishes and the standards, the morals and the ethics of San Franciscans. And I do not say that. And I say that in watching you all from before, even though some of you all have represented on the Fair Political Practices Commission, some of you all purport to be attorneys, you all still do not do due diligence. And you could see that in your budget. 
So whoever is appointed, you know, we need, you have a budget now, but you need to do due diligence. So I'll be following y'all. I'm not gonna be calling in, but I'll be watching y'all and I'll be addressing the issues on my blog. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other callers? Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins Thank you, now. Commissioners. Thank you, Commissioners. My name is Carol Harvey. I've been an investigative reporter and a citizen of San Francisco for 30 years. I'm here to honor Charles Marsteller and Bob Clanthold, true warriors in the fight for honesty and integrity in San Francisco politics. I learned about the Kaufman Charter when Connie Chan ran for supervisor. A majority of San Franciscans is in agreement that the city and county of San Francisco and San Francisco city government are more deeply corrupt than ever before. Correcting this appalling and dysfunctional situation mandates many sweeping, bold, and honest changes. First, we need a charter amendment to replace the Kaufman Charter's adverse effects so that ethics can be elected with a protected budget to do truly independent investigations. Second, we must conduct a recall of all the ethics commissioners followed by an intensive effort to make certain that their replacements are highly ethical people. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just want to remind uh, members of the public that uh, the opportunity for public comment to the specific agenda items is for the specific agenda items. And there will be ample opportunities for you to uh, comment on other items that's not included in today's agenda items later on. Any other members and the public waiting in the queue? No, ma'am. If not, um, oh, my apologies. Please Good begin. morning, commissioners. Um, my name is Lois Scott, and I've been voting in San Francisco for over 40 years and worked for the city for over three decades. As a senior, I've been participating in an informal group of citizens who recognize and want to reduce corruption, and we call ourselves the Anti-Corruption Coalition. I've come today to talk about Charlie Marsteller, who died a few, several weeks ago. He was a mentor to us and a leader in the creation of the Ethics Commission by amendment to the city charter in 1993. He was a proponent of campaign finance and the lobbying disclosure legislation and a keen critic of dereliction. Except for his association with SF Common Cause and the San Francisco League of Women Voters, he stood above the fray, analytical and abhorrent of any self-interest in any issue. But he knew who the miscreants were. Your commission is or should be an important asset to those wanting integrity in government. Charlie always hoped you would have some success. 
Most public employees and citizens hope so too and have been disappointed. Um, I'd like to recount just a few of my unhappy experiences. Whistleblower, and I'm just going to summarize here because I know this may not completely fit what your agenda item is. As so-called random audits of small political action groups, uh, one group that I was a part of came up for several audits and almost broke the group uh, with all the costs, um, except that we won a lawsuit. Corrupt contracts. At PUC, um, as an active city employee and newly minted union president in 2007, I brought concerns of some ethical engineers to the Board of Supervisors and almost got excommunicated. Was the city family a racketeering, influential, corrupt organization then, now? Corrupt contracts remain, and it is doubtful that statements of economic interests are very effective. We watch, we wait, we care, we vote, we remember the inspiring work of Charles Marsteller and Bob Planthold. So, thank you. Thank you. Okay, public comment to agenda item number seven is closed. I neglected to ask uh, Commissioner Finlaff whether he would accept the nomination before we take a vote. I assume yes. I'm sure I accept. <laughs> okay. So, commissioners, as I call your name. Oh, um, you would be calling me. Okay, let's take the roll, please. Commissioners, as I call your name, please vote by stating the name of the individual for whom you cast your vote to serve as vice chair of the Ethics Commission for the coming year, beginning August 18th, 2023, through February 29th, 2024. Commissioner Flores Fang. Commissioner Finlev. Commissioner Finlev. Chair Lee. Commissioner Finlev. Commissioner Salahi. Commissioner Finlev. Madam Chair, by a vote of four to zero, the Commission has elected Commissioner Finlev to serve as Vice Chair beginning August 18th, 2023 through February 29th, 2024. Congratulations, Vice Chair Finlip. Congratulations. Okay. It's gonna be a wonderful, happy <laughs> term. Now let's go to agenda item number eight, which is discussion and possible action on executive director recruitment process, which may include consideration and action to ratify selection of executive search firm to assist Ethics Commission in recruiting and screening candidates. Um, I ask our acting deputy director to introduce the item and give us a um, brief uh, um, summary of how we got here. Commissioner, as you recall, we are restarting the executive search process. Um, this also requires that we find a new executive search firm. Uh, uh, the Department of Human Resources has um, conducted a mini solicitation of approved uh, firms, and uh, that solicitation is closed. We have one uh, uh, firm that has applied. 
so that firm's Berkeley search is the firm's uh, proposal that is in your packet. And um, so today uh, you can consider that firm. And uh, you, today we would ask that you ratify um, selection of that firm so we can proceed with the hiring process. Thank you. I also want to mention that Mr. Paul Green from DHR is here to answer any questions or if you want to add any um, uh, information. Uh, I think he summed it up pretty well. Um, if you vote to approve this contract, then, then I will reach out to the firm and um, coordinate a meeting with you, Chair Lee, to begin the next steps. Okay, thank you. Um, let us go to public comment. Uh, any comment from uh, my colleagues? None. Let's go to public comment, please. I see none in the room. Anyone waiting in the queue? Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Commissioners, for those of us, chronologically speaking, for those of us attending your meetings in the past, you all did say that you would give opportunities to the public, right? Have you all done the outreach? I say no. So this is what's happening, you know. You'll now have difficulty in finding this director because the city has a bad name. So behind closed doors or in whatever manner you'll do your business, you'll have chosen some agency or some headhunter or whatever you'll call them to get y'all a director. Is this the way of serving San Franciscans? This is San Francisco. This is where the United Nations Charter was signed. This is where we are going to have an APAC conference soon because we signed the Charter and we got those members to tell all the world leaders that we have standards. We do not have standards. This is a very, 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 very corrupt city. We don't have standards. Our Sunshine Task Force doesn't work. Our Ethics Commission doesn't work. Our Controller's Office doesn't work. So we want to know, we the people want to know if this director is chosen. Does he know the history of San Francisco? Is he going to stand up for the constituents of San Francisco? Or are we going to have this cabal? This is a cabal. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. I want to, um, maybe I should have mentioned it earlier. The original um, executive director search started about eight, eight or nine months ago. And before we uh, um, start the, started the search, we conducted, we conducted numerous meetings and outreach to our stakeholders. I think we held at least 10 meetings uh, with our stakeholder community to seek the input 
and to solicit their uh, perspectives on what kind of um, a candidate should lead this commission. And based on their uh, comments, suggestions, and ideas, we put that in the uh, job description as well as uh, outreach to seek a pool of um, candidates. So this process has been transparent and this has been very inclusive. And again, I really want to thank our stakeholders and our partner communities to really uh, engage with us uh, through the process. Uh, we are restarting this uh, search and in front of us today is a um, uh, candidate firm who would be working with us, uh, but make, make no mistake, uh, we will be heavily engaged uh, with this firm to make sure that uh, everything is transparent and the, public will con the public's perspectives will continue to be included during this process. So with that, any, if we do not have any other callers? No, Madam Chair, there's no callers in the queue. Okay, so let us close the public comment. And um, before we take a motion, I just want, maybe I should do that after the motion about moving forward on the next step. So let's do the motion first. Do I have a motion to accept? Uh, Berkeley Consultants to uh, work with us? I'll move. Second. Is that a question or are you seconding? No. I'll second it. That was okay, so roll call, please. I'm going to take a Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Fenlev? Aye. Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Salahi? Aye. Madam Chair, with four votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Technically, it is between the DHR to, to um, employ the, the search firm. We do not employ the Correct. Search the firm. contract is with I DHR. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yes, I'll be reaching out to right. coordinate that. Right. Just want to make that clarification. Thank you. Um, colleagues, uh, as you recall, when we first started this uh, search process, given the time and, and, and everything else, uh, at that time, the commission had authorized the chair to either form a uh, search committee of two people or direct the chair to handle the administrative uh, uh, activities with the search firm. Uh, specifically to uh, make sure that everything is um, proceeding in a timely manner. When the um, when it comes to the time when we can interview the candidates, then the entire commission will be involved uh, through the uh, review of the candidates, the, the applicants, the selection of the candidates to go on the um, second round of the interview. 
and also the final round of the final slate of candidates and also the ultimate selection of the candidates. So that, that is the, um, the process where all members of the commission uh, get involved. But prior to that, the, the work that is required, such as meeting with the DHR and the search firms to make sure that uh, certain deadlines are met, um, certain materials are ready to go, uh, and also the scope of their outreach. Uh, that was given, um, um, that director, that director was given by the commission to the chair so that the chair would do all these um, detailed uh, administrative activities. Uh, all the while, no decision uh, would be made without consulting the commission. So that was the agreement that was made at the original search. So I want to ask if this commission would like to continue this practice or would you like to see a different approach moving forward? My only concern is it's been over eight months since this commission has had a uh, permanent leader. I very much, and I, I would speak for all of us, this commission very, very much appreciate the staff uh, stepping up, doing acting, double acting, triple acting duties to make sure that this commission uh, continues to uh, uh, move forward smoothly. Uh, but I don't think it's fair for us to uh, really take you know, uh, um, time that is, that adds the stress and, and uh, extra burden to our staff, uh, especially now that we are in a new fiscal year. So my rec first recommendation would be if we could proceed with just one or two people to work with DHR and the search firm. Uh, I also want to add that the reason why we had the search committee, but in practical terms it did not work, was uh, the city attorney has advised us, even as a committee, uh, search committee, we still would need to uh, notify the meeting, and staff would still need to find meeting uh, locations and everything else. So effectively, that would have added extra time that at the time we felt that we did not um, have or uh, given the activities that we need to get done, um, the chair would be able to get it done um, without the normal notification process. So that's how we did it at the last recruitment process and I just want to throw it out and see if um, anyone would like to either continue or amend it or go back to a f more formal process. I would support a motion to authorize you to work with the DHR and the search firm to move it forward if that's what you're ultimately asking for. Okay. I make that motion then. Okay. I second that. We need to open up for public comment again, Mr. City Attorney, on this motion. 
You've already taken public comment on this okay. item, but um, it is a, it's a different action, so just to be cut all, uh, cross all your T's and dot all your I's, you might as well open up for public comment again. Okay, let's do a public comment. Can I ask a sorry question first, Mr. Rusi? Do we even need a motion if we're just yeah. asking the chair to work with DHR? I, I don't think you necessarily need a motion if you're all in agreement and there's no objection to the what was already authorized before. I think you can continue with that without okay. another motion. Will you withdraw your motion? I withdraw my motion. Okay, thank you. Okay, so let us. So no public comment, right? No, we already have public comment. No, no. So first, yeah, first the city attorney, in, with all his wisdom, said, "Okay, we'll we'll have public comment." Then you all had some uh, some discussion, and you said, "No public comment." Okay. So right now you have to, you're the chair, you should inform us that we don't have public comment, right? We had the public comment on this item. Yeah, but you'll introduce some before. other notions which, if you are very careful and paid attention to my comments, y'all are not operating according to the rules, what was set for this commission. and. So the best way to inform you all is legally, and we'll do that. And I have a letter from a former founder. I'm sorry, sir, but we're not receiving public comment at this time. Thank you. Thank you, too. Madam Chair, we're ready to go on to the next agenda item. Okay. So let us proceed. Let us proceed on the uh, vote. I think we did the vote already. My apologies. Did we do the vote? Voted to retain the search firm. Okay, okay. Yeah. My apologies, sleep deprivation. Okay, so let us go to agenda item number nine, which is discussion and possible action on the motion ordering submitted. <coughs> to the voters at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024, an ordinance amending the campaign and government conduct code to one, expand gift prohibitions for city officers and employees, two, expand rules and prohibiting bribery, three, require ethics training for Form 700 followers, four, prohibit members of the public from acting as intermediaries for city officers and employees with respect to certain prohibited gifts. Five, impose personal liability on city officials for failure to disclose certain relationships. Six, create generally applicable incompatible activity rules. And seven, require ethics commission and board of supervisors supermajority approval for amendments to certain ethics-related ordinances and appropriating $43,000 from the general reserve in fiscal year 23-24 to fund administrative costs required to implement the ordinance and amend the ethics commission regulations to strengthen gifts, training, and other city ethics laws. Uh, first, I want to call our Acting Policy and Legislative Affairs Manager, Mr. Michael Kenning, to introduce this item and to refresh our memory of this process and answer any questions from the commissioners. Uh, thank you, Chair Lee, uh, fellow commissioners. I'm pleased to present this item for the commission's consideration today. Uh, 
Uh, what is before the commission today as a proposed ballot measure and draft regulation amendments uh, is the culmination of what has been the commission's top policy priority for the last three years. In 2020, multiple investigations into alleged corrupt activity by numerous city officials and contractors came to light, which over the last several years has uh, demonstrated an alarming level of unethical conduct in and around city government and its decision-making processes. In response to this, in September of 2020, the commission set a review of the city's conflict of interest rules uh, as its top policy priority. This project was broken into three phases. The first dealt with behested payments and produced recommendations that resulted in legislation that now prohibits city officers and designated employees from soliciting behested payments from those with official business before their departments. The second phase of the project was focused on gifts, both direct gifts to city officials and gifts through city departments. And the third phase looked at other essential ethics provisions. The recommendations from phases two and three of this project are presented as the ballot measure and regulation amendments that are currently before the commission today. To briefly highlight some of the things that these reforms would do, they would strengthen the city's restricted source rule, which prohibits city officials from accepting gifts from those doing business with the, their department or those who have attempted to influence them in government decisions recently. Uh, it would expand the annual ethics training requirements to all Form 700 filers. It would codify rules that uh, are currently in departmental statements of incompatible activities so that they can be applied consistently across the city and would protect the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code from future legislative amendment by requiring future changes to be approved by supermajorities of both the Board of Supervisors and the Ethics Commission, uh, along with various other reforms that are described in the staff memo attached to this item. Uh, these changes were first considered by the Commission in late 2021. Uh, since that time, these reforms have been discussed in public at multiple Commission meetings, as well as in private with city bargaining units through an extensive meet and confer process, uh, which just concluded last month. As discussed in the staff memo, multiple revisions have been made to uh, these reforms since they were first introduced based on extensive feedback with stakeholders. With the meet and confer now concluded, the Commission is able to vote to place uh, the ballot measure before voters uh, during the March 2023 election next year. Uh, during the past week, staff have been engaged with top officials from the Department of Public Health uh, regarding concerns they have over one aspect of the proposed ballot measure. Uh, DPH's concerns um, are regarding Section 3.218A1A of the proposed ballot measure, which would prohibit city officers and employees uh, from having a financial interest in entities that contract with their department. Uh, this is a concern for DPH for two main reasons. One is that many of their employees are also employed by UCSF, which contracts with DPH regarding hospital administration. And secondly, they have nurses who work with DPH, uh, as well as for-profit clinics, uh, which also contract <coughs> with DPH. To address these concerns, staff is recommending that the Commission vote today to place the ballot measure before voters with two slight amendments, the first of which would narrow the rule regarding having a financial interest in an entity that contracts with your department so that it only applies to Form 700 filers, uh, which are the city officers and employees who are involved in making government decisions. <clears throat> Secondly, to specify that employment with another government entity like UCSF is not considered a financial interest for the purposes of this rule. 
staff believes that both of these are reasonable changes uh, that do not undermine the overall effectiveness of the ballot measure. Uh, staff also believes that these amendments would address the bulk of DPH's concerns and that any additional concerns they may have could be addressed through future regulation making processes with the commission. Uh, we've printed out draft language for these uh, amendments, which, uh, Stephen, could you maybe pass those? Um, for those at the record and for those not um, in the room and those listening, uh, the proposed amendment language would be inserted into section 3.218A1A, which is at the bottom of page 66 of the ballot measure, uh, starting on line 23. The proposed language would insert immediately following contracting with one's own department on the first line, quote, for officers and employees required to file a statement of economic interest under Article 3, Chapter 1 of this code, uh, which is a long way of saying Form 700 filers. This would specify that the remaining part of the rule would just apply to Form 700 filers, not all rank and file employees. Uh, additionally, at the end of the subsection, the amendment would add an additional sentence, quote, for this subsection, capital A, employment with a federal, state, or local government entity shall not be a financial interest. As amended, the revised rule would essentially prohibit Form 700 filers from having a financial interest in a private sector entity that contracts with their city department. Uh, this would address the most problematic examples of this type of behavior that have recently been observed in the news, uh, while also being responsive to DPH's concerns. Uh, lastly, I'd like to state that while voting on the ballot measure and regulations before the Commission today may be the culmination of this policy project, it is not intended to be the end of the Commission's work on this policy project. Uh, should the Commission vote to approve the ballot measure and regulation amendments today, there will be more than a year before these changes become operative should they be approved by voters. During that time, the Commission would be able to continue uh, engaging with stakeholders and have the ability to uh, enact additional regulations uh, to address concerns and ensure an effective implementation of these reforms should they be approved by voters. This is an ongoing process that staff is enthusiastic to continue working on with the Commission and stakeholders. Uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions the Commission may have. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kenning. First, I want to express uh, our um, deepest thanks to the staff, uh, Mr. Kenning, Mr. Ford, uh, and the um, entire team. During the last uh, two plus years, uh, you have worked diligently, uh, patiently, and respectfully with all, uh, all stakeholders, including um, the Municipal Executive Association, uh, members uh, and members of the public and our stakeholders community, uh, you kept this commission um, abreast on every, almost every meeting. Um, we made changes in response to comments and concerns, and that's why this process has taken over two years. We missed two deadlines. Uh, and this one, I am uh, happy that we will finally meet. Uh, so uh, hats off to the staff for the diligent uh, work and you listened. Uh, and uh, this proposal truly reflects um, what this commission uh, is charged to do. So I intend to make a motion 
to uh, place the ordinance directly before the San Francisco voters as a uh, ethics commission ballot measure, reflecting the amendments that you have presented, and also um, uh, a second amendment, I mean a second motion to uh, approve the proposed regulation amendments uh, presented uh, uh, and vote to adopt these amended regulations pursuant to our authority under Charter Section 15.102. So uh, do I have a second? And then we have a Do we need to say public comment before making the motion? Um, I think we can make a motion and then we second and then open up for public comment. Uh, do I second? I'm personally not prepared to second it until we've heard from hopefully public comment. I'm hoping someone from DPH is here. I think there were serious issues raised this week that I would just like to know more information about before we motion on it. So that's, I'm just explaining my thinking. Okay. Um, so first of all, before we open up for public comment, do we have anyone from D DHS, DPH who can, um, respond to some of the uh, presentations that was made? We were, were in contact with Greg Wagner from the Department of Public Health um, who was aware and was trying to find someone to call in potentially. I don't know if there's someone in the queue. Okay, okay so why don't we um, open up for public comment first uh, in room if anyone wish to speak. Uh, just to reiterate, you will have three minutes to speak. The moment you speak is when your time starts. Okay, okay. thank you. Um, good morning, commissioners. My name is Dr. Edward Deasis. I am the Deputy Director of Administration and Finance for the Board of Supervisors, and I also currently oversee the Form 700 and ethics trainings for the department. Um, I read these proposed uh, changes, and I do want to bring additional perspective or comments from the department side um, regarding how these regulations will affect uh, the departments, um, I wanted to comment on four specific items. The first is Regulation 3.205A-1 on ethics training annual deadline. Um, we recommend that the language in this particular regulation be further clarified or edited to specifically identify which, par which parties um, this regulation will be affecting. Uh, currently, as the regulation is presently written, it says, quote, unquote, each city officer or employee required to annually complete this ethics training. Um, so does this section um, refer to um, positions that are listed currently in the campaign and governmental uh, conduct code sections 3.103A1 and B1, which are basically um, uh, ethics filers, form 700 filers. Um, if it's the case, um, we, if. Basically, this requirements applies to this, these positions that are listed in these two codes, then um, we recommend that this be more specifically um, spelled out in the proposed regulations. Uh, the second item is with respect to Regulation 3.205A-2B, um, Ethics Training Deadline When Assuming a Position. Uh, this particular change appears to introduce a new monetary penalty for not completing um, ethics training. Um, this is a new penalty. 
Uh, currently, members of boards and commissions cannot vote if they do not submit the ethics training or complete the ethics training. Um, as a result, we feel that a monetary penalty is unnecessary because the loss of voting privileges um, for members of boards and commissions who um, fail to complete ethics training timely um, basically affects the most important duty um, in their position. Um, additionally, with respect to this regulation, um, if you do approve this, we do recommend that um, changes are made to the current um, ethics system uh, to separate the uh, ethics training and the Sunshine Ordinance declaration um, in the system. Currently, you have to complete both in order to be marked as um, in order to be marked as complete for ethics training. Um, the third item is with respect to Regulation 3.205C1, which is the deadline for the annual notice. Um, as is stated in the regulations, the positions that are laid out in the regulations are ethics filers. Um, we believe that this means that the duty of providing the annual summary um, should lie with the Ethics Commission. Uh, putting this on the department adds another burden uh, on... Uh, I'm sorry, your three minutes are up. Thank you. Are you representing DPH? Okay. I think if you Please can go ahead. His time. Please go ahead. Um, thank you. So as I said, um, placing the deadline for providing annual notice um, to the departments adds an administrative burden on the departments. Um, as we all know, a lot of departments are short-staffed and they're already struggling to um, complete a heavy workload. So adding this additional item increases their workload. Um, we do recommend that the Ethics Commission re reach out to additional departments, maybe all city departments, to see how this will affect their workload as well as their workflow. Um, lastly, um, the proposed regulations also um, changes some of the rules regarding gifts. Um, these are changes to long-standing um, rules regarding gifts. Um, as a result, we do recommend that um, the Ethics Commission obtain more input from affected parties, namely city departments, additional city departments, um, elected officials, um, employees, as well as labor unions, because a lot of these changes are to um, significant um, major gift rules that, personally, I've been with the city for 11 years. Um, these changes might actually um, confuse or um, create issues for some of the parties that are affected by this regulation. Um, with that, I'll conclude my presentation. Thank you for the extra time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyone else who wish to speak? I have some questions for Mr. Canning then. I'd like to have we some have discussion a, on this. We have callers in here. Why don't we take public comments first That's great. and then we can That's ask great. questions together. Uh, next caller, please. We have one caller in the queue. I do need to ask, do I give this individual extra minute, four minutes since we had this individual? The sunshine, Deputy City Attorney Brad Rusty, the Sunshine Ordinance does require equal time to all people who provide public comments, so since the first commenter did receive more time I think equal time should apply to other commenters okay. one caller in the queue please stand by welcome caller your four minutes begins now hi commissioners this is Debbie Lerman from the San Francisco Human Services Network an association of about 80 health and human service nonprofits it's been over a year since this commission has held a public hearing on the gifts ballot measure 
and during that time, discussions have occurred only through a meet and confer process and in closed session. Ethics staff have now brought the measure forward only a few days after, pro after posting the revised lengthy measure and a 218-page memo online with little time to review and assess whether the public's concerns have been addressed and whether the changes have created any new issues. The commission also has new members and a vacancy, so some commissioners were not present to hear the public express its concerns about prior versions. For our nonprofit members, those concerns included provisions related to fundraiser tickets and how the law applies to restricted sources, such as uncompensated boards of directors or those who seek to influence legislative or administrative action and other provisions. In addition, I actually just became aware last night about DPH's concerns about 3.218. I had never understood it previously, but was informed yesterday that that section would prohibit city employees from having dual employment or serving on boards of directors of nonprofits that contract with the department. And we appreciate the proposed amendment for Form 700 filers, particularly any high-level policy employees who have decision-making authority over contracts. But it is overly broad. It has consequences for nonprofits as well as UCSF. Um, for lower-level employees and frontline workers where there's no potential for corruptive influence. It would harm lower paid workers who need two jobs to make ends meet, and it would be devastating to nonprofits who struggle to provide competitive wages for specialized medical staff, like nurses and psychiatrists, many of whom work some part-time hours in nonprofit programs. Health and human service nonprofits also need to attract board members with expertise, and many city employees volunteer in that capacity without conflict of interest. We understand the need and desire to move ahead and finalize a measure for the March election, but there is still significant time before the deadline. I'm requesting today that the commission hold off on any vote today on the measure and the regulations and give the public adequate time to review the new measure and, and participate meaningfully in the process. So we're just simply asking for more time to review the, the long memo and the long revised measure and we look forward to engaging as expeditiously as possible with ethics staff and commissioners on the measure so that it can then move forward. Thank you for your consideration of this request. Okay, thank you. Any other callers? Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to ask Mr. Kenning if you can respond to some of these uh, uh, questions from the public first. Yes, really happy to do that. Um, I guess to the most recent caller, um, Debbie Lerman, the staff have engaged extensively with Debbie um, throughout these, this process. Um, and many of the exceptions that are currently listed in the draft regulations came from those conversations with um, Ms. Lerman. Um, and also they specified that there is no new measure. The changes to the ballot measure um, from the last year um, were procedural to update the date of the election, specify the, uh, the title change, um, the substance of the ballot measure itself has not changed uh, in more than a year. The changes have been to create additional exceptions and clarify the exceptions that are found in the regulations. Um, many of those uh, exceptions which were added based on stakeholder feedback. Um, to the 
concerns of the first caller, um, the regulations uh, 3.205 regarding the annual training requirement are based off of what's in the ballot measure. So the clarification of who it applies to uh, is specified in the code already that it applies to um, Form 700 filers that are uh, listed in uh, Article 3, Chapter 1. Um, and then the, code, the regulation is uh, a supplement to that. So that specification is already there. Um, the uh, idea that um, uh, people who fail to complete their annual ethics training could be subject to monetary penalties has also been in the ballot measure from the beginning um, and uh, you know, uh, ample opportunity to, uh, to discuss that. Um, uh, similar with the annual notice, uh, the Ethics Commission is responsible for producing the summary that would be distributed by departments. Um, part of the reason for it being distributed through the departments, um, in line with the controller's past recommendations, uh, to focus on a tone at the top with ethical leadership. Um, we think having the departments be the entity that sends these ethical reminders annually to their officers and employees um, to be an effective way to solidify that tone at the top. Thank you. Um, questions? I, I have a question about uh, the proposed amendment to section 3.218 to address the concerns from DPH. Um, as I understand it, part of the motivation for this section is uh, making sure that city employees who have outside employment are not influenced by that outside employment or outside financial interest in their decision making. And I'm <clears throat> just trying to figure out what the right way to find an appropriate carve out is. And I'm curious whether uh, staff has considered applying, rather than limiting it to Form 700 filers uh, in and of itself, but applying something similar to the test that's in Regulation 3.234 uh, about officers or employees who personally and substantially participate in awards of contracts. Would that be under-inclusive, over-inclusive, not really be what you're concerned with here? Or um, Yeah, I think that would definitely be far narrower. I think the benefit of narrowing it just to Form 700 filers is that those are individuals who are generally engaged in making government decisions and to have those individuals being, uh, you know, having a financial interest in entities that contract with their department, um, you know, op is a broader view that uh, speaks to both the, you know, potential for um, improper activity as well as the potential appearance of it. Um, if someone sees someone have a financial interest in an entity that contracts with their department, um, that there is a concern that that could be a, you know, uh, a look that erodes public trust. Um, and there are also additional rules that already prohibit um, taking actions, can be specific actions, like, you know, voting on a contract with an entity you have a financial interest in, that's already uh, prohibited. Um, so this would be kind of a broadening of that to uh, Form 700 filers. Is there any concern that uh, limiting it to Form 700 filers is under-inclusive from the staff or has the potential to be? Yeah, good job. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, um, sorry, that's uh, um, uh, I don't believe so. Yeah, I think this would speak to the most, um, you know, relevant concerns that we've, uh, you know, seen in the news recently regarding, um, you know, former 700 filers that um, did have uh, potentially improper roles um, with entities that uh, contract with the department. I have a couple of questions. Uh, Mr. Gang, first I want to congratulate you on making so much progress on this. I think we're getting closer. 
I think this dual employment issue is a real serious issue. It's unfortunate that it's just come up recently, but it has, and I think we have to be very deliberate about it. Um, and I think the proposed amendments, or sorry, the proposed carve-outs make sense conceptually, but I don't have a good sense sitting here who at DPH is a Form 700 filer, who at any agency for that matter. I'm concerned that it's potentially over-inclusive and under-inclusive. I don't think anybody wants to prevent a part-time nurse who works for the city from also working with a nonprofit or a, sorry, a for-profit agency. That's not a government, government agency. But I don't know that none of those folks are Form 700 filers, and I don't, maybe you can tell me that. I wish someone from DPH were here to clarify that. Um, I was a Form 700 filer when I worked for the city. I was not high up in the chain, and I'm not sure that this would not capture a lot of folks who do not present any concern about uh, undue influence. At the same time, I can imagine Form 700 filers who have dual employment with another government agency that is problematic. Under this carve-out, those folks would not be prohibited from dual employment if the other employer is a government entity. So without having a sense of how this would actually affect employees on the ground, who would be in, who would be out, I think it's hard to vote on such kind of a, a black line. And that, that's my concern. And I don't, you know, we got this proposal yesterday. No fault to you. You've been doing this very, very diligently. This issue has come up recently. And I think we're potentially putting a measure on the ballot that would affect the livelihood of thousands of city employees I understand that there can be regulations that address that, but that's still the language we're considering. And I don't have a good sense of who it affects, and that, that's kind of at the heart of my concerns. I wish DPH were here, but it's not just DPH. It's all agencies have probably part-time employees who have other jobs that don't present any real concerns. So again, I 100% support where you're going with this. These are common sense carves out, carve outs conceptually. I just don't have a sense of the impact on the ground, and that's what I'm struggling with uh, right now. Maybe I could give some more context. Commissioner Finlev, uh, for the record, Patrick Ford, Director of Enforcement. Um, we looked at this earlier this week um, and found that it looks like about 11% of DPH employees are Form 700 filers. Um, so 89% are not. Um, and DPH is doing the same process that all other departments are doing, which is the biennial code update, where every two years departments go through the list Sorry, of Sorry, a, a what update? Biennial code update. It's an update to the conflict of interest code. It occurs every two years as required under state law. It requires every local government agency to go through its list of Form 700 filers and to realign that list with the realities in the department. So they need to go through and they need to look at whether every department does in fact make or participate in making government decisions and they need to amend that list so that the people who do that are in the list, the people who don't are not in the list. So there is a separate process since your question, Commissioner Slahi, about why we're using Form 700 filer instead of a different test, we have the benefit of that it's stated. I mean, there's a list, you can look. Am I in this list or not? So that helps for compliance. People can see that they're on the list. Um, that's a process that we help the departments in. Every other year we put out a guide to how departments are supposed to do the biennial code review. Uh, we can definitely help DPH in particular with that process when that comes up next year. It's every even numbered year. We can help them. So if there are questions about who is a filer, who's supposed to be one, and there will be, you know, if you do improve this amendment, there will be this extra element of it that if you are a Form 700 filer, that this rule will apply to you. So I think there is a process to address that, um, that concern to make sure that it's properly inclusive, the right people are in it and, and not in it. Are you saying the departments can on their own 
put people within the Form 700 requirement and without? So the, the way the process works is the state law designates what's called a code reviewing body for each conflict of interest code and for the city and county that's the board of supervisors so the board of supervisors is ultimately responsible for making sure that that ordinance passes they do that through essentially the city attorney's office and the clerk of the board sends out a notice to departments every other year asking them to submit their changes the city attorney's office puts those all together into a single ordinance there's a meet and confer process that takes place on that ordinance. So usually a handful of bargaining units will attend and they'll discuss why they think some positions should or should not be included. There's a debate that goes on. Departments send representatives to explain why certain positions are included and why they're not. So there's a pretty fulsome process that takes place every other year. Then at the end of that meet and confer process, once everybody essentially more or less agrees on it, then the board votes on the ordinance and then the law is amended. Uh, th thank you for that answer. Do you have a sense of who the 11% at DPH are that are Form 700 filers? I don't mean their names, but in terms of their positions and what they're doing. Because that's 11% of that, that's a, I'm guessing a lot of people that we potentially be telling them no dual employment. So maybe you can help kind of clarify what those folks are doing. Yeah, I mean, without getting into specific positions, which should be, I think that's hard to know. There's so many positions. I think generally, if you were to look at them, you would find them to be more supervisors, managers, people doing more administrative work uh, in general. I don't want to speak about specific things. There may be instances where that's that's not the case, just since it's a big department. Uh, but yeah, in, in, in theory, it is supposed to reflect who in the department makes or participates in making government decisions. If there are people in that list who don't do that, they could be removed from that list. And then I don't want to take all the questions so my colleagues have some jump in, but I'll just finish this thought. Um, have you reached out to DPH to get their thoughts on the proposed amendments to yes. see whether this addresses their concerns and they're fine with this? Yeah, I spoke to Greg Wagner uh, yesterday afternoon and described uh, amended language to him. It was the amended language or it was the conceptual language that we spoke about with um, uh, uh, Acting Director Massey. Excuse um, me, Mr. Wagner is, what's his position? Uh, he's the is COO. Um, CFO of the DPH, um, who uh, we, we reached out to Executive Director um, Grant Colfax initially, and he was supposed to attend the meeting, but uh, sent uh, Mr. Wagner in instead, and um, we discussed uh, the concept of those um, amendments on Wednesday, and then talked to him again on Thursday afternoon, and said we'd be making those recommendations to the commission. And um, obviously, I can't you know speak for him, but he seemed very enthusiastic about those, um, and really appreciated the. You know, effort of the commission to consider making those changes and seemed um, very receptive and you know uh, uh, supportive of those amendments and also uh, willing to continue to work on the process uh, afterwards for additional reg making. Uh, uh, Chief Operating Officer is his title. And I think you're saying he specifically said these amendments address our concerns with the dual employment prohibition. Uh, Yes, I believe they don't address every concern, um, but they address the bulk of them, and um, you know, there's uh, additional opportunities for clarifying language and potentially you know, addressing additional concerns either through regulations or legislative fixes at a later date before any of this would go into effect. And I don't like to put you on the spot to speak for someone else, but that's because we're here at the last minute, the day before, or the day after this, I guess, came to light. Um, let me just ask the converse question. One of this proposal, a chief of a city agency would be able to be the chief, potentially, of a, another government agency. 
And that wouldn't violate this because the other entity is a government entity. And that, to me, facially could be problematic, but this would basically carve that out, right? For this particular rule, yes, but almost certainly other rules would probably prohibit that. I think, for one, that would probably be an excessive time demand. I don't know how you could be the chief <laughs> of two uh, agencies, one one government department and one, you know, I guess, another government department. That would seem to be right. incompatible under a different provision of the law. Also, I think you would probably run into 87100 issues, conflicts of interest, um, if you're making decisions that affect, um, you know, an, an another source of income. So, yeah, for this specific rule, you're, you're correct, but there are probably other rules to address it. Love to hear my colleagues jump in. If the, I think this is a healthy discussion to have because these are significant uh, issues. Lawrence Fang. Thank you um, for that very helpful context. I'm wondering, um, I mean, you mentioned that this is not the only concern, but that um, that Mr. Wagner did feel like the other concerns or things that could be re you know, resolved or kind of worked through um, through the regulations. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Or other legislative fixes? Are we talking about um, supervisor Savahi, uh, sorry? Safai. Yeah. Sorry, Safai's um, legislation, yeah. You're proposing a lot of great things, too. Um, so just, just to be clear about, you know, it's like this, this seems like a great fix for this, but then what about everything else, and would it kind of trail along in a way that's... I mean, I think the, the additional opportunities for clarifications or uh, corrections um, would be that if the commission was to act today, um, there's more than a year before the implementation date should it be approved by voters. So during, you know... Starting immediately, the commission could continue to work on additional regs, um, you know, specific to Section 3.218, to um, which was going to need to happen at some point, anyways. Like the current regulations are about the departmental statements of incompatible activities, which, if uh, this was approved by voters, those regs around the logistics of how to amend your statement wouldn't be applicable anymore. So the commission would need to do regs to clarify those sort of um, mundane things, and at the same time. Uh, those regulations could add, you know, could clarify definitions or add exceptions if necessary uh, to what was going to be before the voters, and that could be done in the same way that the regulations currently before the commission are set up, so that they would have the same operative date as the ballot measure and only be become effective if the measure was to become effective, um, and so that could be, you know, passed by the commission, you know, in the next couple of months. Additional uh, regulations like that. Uh, additionally. If there was something in the actual ballot measure language itself that was severely problematic that the commission wanted to address, there would be uh, at least six months between the time the voters weigh in and the changes becoming operative, where the uh, Ethics Commission and the Board of Supervisors could work on a joint legislative amendment to make that change to the code before it actually impacted anyone um, when the rules be would become effective. And that's before it gets to the voters? Uh, that would be after the after voters. If the voters were to weigh in, um, there would then be that period where the board and the commission could make a legislative change. And what is the drop dead deadline for us to um, kind of work through this, vote on this, and still get it on for the March? The drop dead deadline with the Department of Elections is uh, December 1st. Um, th there's some follow on uh, activity that would probably make sense to have happen after that. Um, for example, with past ballot measures the commission has submitted, uh, they voted on the arguments for. Uh, 
the measure and had that be included in like the voter materials and that happens in like early December so it would probably make sense to have that be a separate vote potentially um, uh, and, and then also you know as we've I think learned through this process over the last couple of years that lots of things can impact uh, those deadlines and um, you know, I think the more you know uh, that it's open right now there's the potential for unforeseen things do conflict with that deadline I, I just want to um, remind members of the public, uh, last minute proposals comes up all the time and in fact that's why we missed those two previous deadlines. And the reason why we scheduled this vote today instead of October, November was because uh, learning from the experience of the previous two uh, proposed deadlines, uh, we really wanted to give us room to make sure that uh, um, we do not miss this the third time around. This is not, this ballot measure was not the idea of this commission. This ballot measure proposal came from members of the public uh, in response to the corruption uh, um, uh, scandal that came up uh, about three years ago. So uh, we've been pushing this back <coughs> consistently. And, and as Mr. Kenning said, uh, we respect the concern uh, from our um, city family and uh, they've been addressed and that's why we're here today. The meeting confer is finally been uh, done, and I imagine DPH uh, has a representative to MEA uh, to to express the views. And again, we respect these last-minute concerns. And my understanding from Mr. Kenning is there is ample time for uh, all parties to address them to the satisfaction. Uh, of DPH uh, employees, and I would really, really hesitate um, to table this, even though the drop debt, we always use the term drop debt, but that, you know, we gave each other three months the, the previous two times, and we still missed those deadlines. So um, uh, I, I urge members of the public to Remember, this isn't a commission-driven um, initiative. This was driven by members of the public who wanted this commission to do something within our power. So I just want to make that uh, abundantly clear. Um, Surely, may, to, okay. may I also add one additional comment, um, which is that um, given the past meet and confer over the ballot measure and the associated regulations. Um, the, it seems clear to staff that the pathway you know, forward to address these concerns would be to kind of go forward and go through. If the commission was to delay and try to consider additional amendments at this point, that would potentially be subject back to the original, the same meet and confer that we just closed out, closed out and you know, could create complications there, whereas if the commission was to move forward with what's before them today and then consider additional 
revisions as either separate legislation or additional regulations, those would be subject to meet and confer, but would be you know, more narrow cast and you know, like a cleaner separate process potentially. Thank you for the clarification. Um, I just want to make a brief comment. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for the explanation about the statement uh, 700 uh, background process for how those are put together. I think when, when the meeting had started, I had shared Commissioner Finlev's concerns about not grasping the practical impact of um, this carve out on employees, but I think with, with that background information and the knowledge that that's a continually revised list, um, as well as knowing that there's time built in for uh, any necessary amendments to regulations or legislative fixes down the line before this becomes effective. Um, I think at this point I'm prepared to second Chair Lee's motion from earlier today. I just wanted to clarify whether her motion included the proposed amendment here. Um, yes. Yeah. I believe it did, yes. Okay. I'm prepared to second that motion then. Shall we go to public comment? Public comment, please. Okay. As a reminder to members of the public who just joined us in person and also remotely, public. Uh, Commissioner and Deputy City Attorney Brad Russ, you did already take com oh. public comment on this item, on the same motion that you had made. Doesn't prohibit you from taking more public comment, but you, but there was public comment. Uh, more clarification of some of the comments. So let's go back to public comment. Just to reiterate to the folks who have joined us in person and remotely, public comment is uh, will be available on each item on this agenda, and each member of the public will be allowed four minutes to speak. Commissioners, this is a very convoluted subject, much like behest. But you commissioners have to keep in mind that even though people come here and muddy the waters, now this Form 700 and the BS is connected in many ways. Recently, meaning three weeks or four weeks ago, they came before the Board of Supervisors and they gave them a green light to get donations on behalf of APEC. We are sending mixed signals to the citizens and constituents of San Francisco. BHS donations muddy the waters. The Form 700 is not properly understood by the heads of departments. There is no orientation. It is much like when you get clearance in the federal government. In order to maintain a standard, you have orientation. That is why we had a president who took the, you know, the top secret uh, documents home, because in his mind, he was hallucinating that his, he could do whatever he wanted to. And we do have heads of departments in this city <laughs> and county of San Francisco who have not filled out their Form 700s before for years. So when you all muddy the waters like this, do you think so that the people who are listening at home understand what you all are saying? You all commissioners don't understand. When like, like one of you commissioners worked with Form 700s, so you really know the nuances. So what we're having in this city is 
we shouldn't be having y'all have these uh, last minute deliberations or suggestions or contacts. And, and there are other things too, which y'all which think that we don't know. We know about foreign entities now trying to get contracts here in San Francisco. We know about them. Some of them are in this room. They may not know that I know. So we got our connections, you know. We know what's happening in San Francisco. We got a lot of foreign agents getting contracts. And, and you ethics commission have no clue of what is happening. So let me stop there, okay, before I get too deep into this situation. But we'll visit you all uh, on another level, a more legal level. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, any other public comments? Uh, Ms. Scott? Hi, this is Lois Scott again. And just two thoughts, one for myself. Um, I think that the Form 700, which I saw many times as a city employee, is a kind of a weak net for catching anything that's going wrong. There's so many things that can happen outside of that form. Um, of course, more training and information on it is important, but <laughs> I kind of criticize the basic tool. Um, the second point is going back to Charlie Marsteller, and I, uh, as his friend, had almost daily phone calls from him and heard a lot of his philosophy. I was getting instructed in how to do things right, and uh, one of the things he was most passionate about, I see in your uh, proposed uh, charter amendments, and that is the supermajority cleanup. And he was very concerned about that area be, having been weakened in the behested payment turnaround and that he wanted uh, to restore that check and balance so that there wasn't kind of willful or frivolous amendments to your regulations. So I think he would endorse that piece of it. Uh, there's an awful lot of it and it's complicated. Uh, from a citizen standpoint, there's a lot more reading and study that's needed and I hope um, you and us uh, pay attention. Thank you. Thank you. There's no other public comment in the room. Let's go to the queue, please. I'm sorry, Madam Chair. Before you do that, could I just finish my, uh, make a final comment? Yes. Um, I like Charlie Marsteller. I'm glad we spoke about him today. I started my good government career at Common Cause. I prosecuted white-collar crime. I work for the Fair Political Practice Commission. I support this measure a lot, and there are many things I like in there. But I was also a city employee, and this measure, as written, potentially reduces or eliminates dual employment opportunities for thousands of city employees. And I just don't understand, at this moment, who's affected and who isn't. And for that reason, I can't support this today. It's not because I don't like the measure. It's not because I'm against the goals at all. Purely, I don't understand who it affects on that particular issue. And there's no... If we vote today or a month from now, doesn't change the operative date, doesn't change the election it would go before the voters on. So I just want to explain my reasoning because it's not that I'm against the measure at all or the goals or even this provision. I just don't fully understand the impact of it. And I wanted to just make that clear for everyone. Why don't we continue with public comment and then we can have a uh, response from, from 
staff regarding the the schedule and then final comments from the commissioners before we either take a vote or, or take whatever action. So let's continue with the public comment first. Yeah, I'm sorry, I thought comment was done. I didn't mean to cut no, off with the, the public. Queue. We, we did not go to the queue. Okay, Madam Chair, we do have one caller in the queue, but it's the same number as who already uh, submitted public com comments. Same item? <clears throat> yeah, so per. Yeah, let's go for it. Well. Deputy City Attorney Brad Rusty, the if you allow this, this comment to comment again, you'd be providing unequal time. So because it's the same motion that's still pending, so I, I don't think you can give this person more time, basically. Okay. Okay. So if it's it's we, it's the only one call in the okay. queue. Okay. Then we don't have any more public. But we have comment. no callers in the queue. Okay. Um, first, before we continue this uh, dialogue, I want to ask the staff to really walk through what were some of the uh, concerns that Commissioner Finlev has brought up and what are uh, some uh, options that we can address with, without further delaying uh, these, the progress that we've made so far? Yes, Shirley. Um, I mean, there is one option that could um, allow the commission to act today, if that's what the commission would like to do, that would um, potentially alleviate some of these concerns, which would be to just remove this aspect of the rule from the ballot measure, um, which is a, another amendment that we had considered this week, which would be just to remove the phrase, or having a financial interest in, from that section. Um, it appears two places. It would just be, need to be removed two places within 3.2188A1A. Uh, uh, um, and if that was removed, it would get rid of that financial interest uh, rule as it currently is in the measure. Um, and that would allow the ballot measure to move forward and would also allow the commission to continue to engage with Supervisor Safai uh, in uh, the legislation that uh, he was pushing that would uh, have had a similar effect, and that could be happening through separate legislation, through a separate meet and confer, that would just kind of remove this as an issue from the ballot measure entirely, um, and that would be one way for the commission to move forward while still being able to continue to engage with stakeholders as well as bargaining units on the, addition, the concept of additional employment. That trigger another going back to the MEA? No, that, that was one option that staff has uh, already cleared with the Department of Human Resources as an option that the commission could act on today. Uh, additionally, um, the city attorney's office has also seen language that would remove uh, that as well, um, and has also said that that's something the commission could do. Can I ask a clarifying question on that? The, so that would have the effect of not prohibiting any dual employment whatsoever by any city employee, at least in this part of the code. Um, irrespective of whether it's dual employment with an entity that contracts with the department. Yeah, so related to that, I think dual employment can be a problem. My concern is that I'm not sure we're addressing the right way today. So if we did that, we'd be able to then through <coughs> regulation or through subsequent action, create some kind of dual employment bar, right? Correct, and there's already legislation introduced by Supervisor Safai that would uh, address dual employment explicitly, um, and that's legislation that needs to be approved by the commission before it could move forward. And uh, the Board of Supervisors has 
uh, initiated a meet and confer over that. Um, out of deference to the commission moving forward with the ballot measure, Supervisor Safai's office asked the Department of Human Resources to pause that meet and confer for the time being. So if the commission removed that language from the ballot measure, uh, Supervisor Safai's office could resume that meet and confer over their legislation, um, which again needs to be approved by the Ethics Commission before it can move forward. So it would let that whole additional employment question happen through a separate process that the commission would be engaged in. Got it. Thank you for that explanation. Yep. And that's Thank also you. a ballot referendum? Uh, no, that could be done legislatively okay. um, with approval from both the commission and yeah. the board. But will that be subject to the supermajority requirement of this proposed referendum? Uh, if it was enacted... Afterwards? Yeah, yeah I, be I believe it would be. Yeah, it, would, it would maybe need to be approved. It might not be a supermajority, but it would be approved by both. Would that also, I mean, it, setting that aside, th that's helpful, and I, I, I think that's a, a reasonable approach. Um, in, in discussions about this um, separate section, would members of the public and DPH be able to bring up their other concerns? Are we, just practically speaking, are we opening it up? Like, I just want to make sure that if we have, like, some sort of interested persons meeting, we aren't just saying well, this is the only thing we're talking about, but that we're able to open it up. Um, so, so we're looking at Supervisor Safai's legislation? Is that what you're um, Or, like, w if we're removing this, yes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that, that process um, could be, you know, yeah, the commission could do a separate series of interested persons meetings on that, um, perhaps partnering with Supervisor Safai's office since they were the ones that were initiating that legislation. And uh, that's also legislation that is, you know, not currently set in stone um, that, you know, can be revised based on feedback from the meet and confer or from the public at large. Um, and again, would need to, you know, and also with the benefit of that is that it wouldn't have a, uh, external kind of ballot measure deadline. That's something that the commission and the board could consider, you know, at whatever pace they deem is appropriate. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, my main concern is that, I mean, I think what happened this time is, you know, it's been out there, you know, it's been public, but I think people, you know, the urgency of us having to vote on it today kind of inspired people to maybe take a closer look. You know? mm. <laughs> you know, throughout the process, it'll inspire people to take, like, a closer look so that we're not um, There's a tension where we want to move forward, but we want to make sure we're listening to everybody. And so um, as long as we are also, you know, considering the other concerns that weren't just specific to this section um, moving forward, I, I think it makes sense to advance. Totally. And I believe all of the concerns that we've heard from the last week are related to this section, to the, the last minute concerns oh, okay. coming in. So, yeah, I think that's the extent of what we've heard. Sorry, you said that the bulk, you use language that the bulk. Yeah, that was the bulk in terms of like the amount of potentially like nurses, if there was the risk of somebody maybe being a nurse who's also from 700 filer as Commissioner Finlev was addressing, like there might be additional people to address for that concern, but that the um, concerns were about this section though. But I think to the folk, to the extent that folks have concerns about other parts of the measure that have nothing to do with the dual employment, I think maybe that's part of what the commission was asking about those I think could be addressed by regulations before the operative date is that what you're yeah. kind of part of the question yes yeah that, that's definitely good and staff will continue to engage these stakeholders right? yes yes 100 percent and also there's uh, there was president said that um, when both the Board of Supervisors and this commission share common um, uh, interests in certain proposals, we did 
uh, hold joint public hearings uh, a few years back uh, on a specific matter. So uh, this doesn't mean that the commission will have to take a back seat. We will continue to work through the staff uh, with the supervisor's office, and, and I'm sure um, the, the board will welcome our engagement. So um, I just want to make it really, really clear, because that was done a few years back when we had the joint public hearing at the Board of Supervisors level. Okay, um, are we ready for a vote on this motion? Uh, Julie, I think, you, I think someone would need to make a motion to approve um, a amended version of the measure. I thought I did. Uh, well, so this oh, is it? a different okay. amendment. This would be okay. amending yeah. section 3.218A1A okay. to strike or having a financial interest in and below in the parenthetical also strike has a financial interest in the entity or um, okay. to strike those two I'll amend terms. my motion to include all that. <laughs> and second it. Second. Okay. Roll call, please. There a motion has been made and seconded. Commissioner Flores Fang. Aye. Vice Chair Finlove. Aye. Chair Lee. Aye. Commissioner Salahi. Aye. Madam Chair, with four votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Thank you very much. Alice, um, do we need a break or shall we continue? There's only a couple. Okay, let's continue with the next item, please which is on agenda item 10, request for waiver for post-employment restrictions for Ms. Tracy Pecker, which is a continued discussion and possible action from our last meeting. Welcome, Ms. Pecker, again. Thank you so much, and good morning, Chair Lee and commissioners and the staff and team. Uh, my name is Tracy Packer. I'm a retiree from the San Francisco Department of Public Health. And I'm really appreciative of you hearing uh, my request today uh, for a waiver for post-employment restrictions under Section 3.234A3. Um, and I'm here today to talk about the personal hardship that this would cause if um, the waiver is not approved. And I want to just note that I'm very appreciative um, of the opportunity and grateful um, for this process uh, as I had prided myself um, in following all the ethics commission rules when I was an employee. And um, I believe that um, my, my, uh, from my experience that my history with this contractor does not create an ethical challenge and hope that the ethics commission is able to see that granting a personal waiver would not create ethical concerns. I won't go into a great detail of, of my um, issues because there's materials and I was here last month, but I will just say that um, I'm seeking a waiver to accept an offer of employment as a part-time short-term consultant with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, um, a community-based organization that provides sexual health and substance use services in San Francisco to our most vulnerable populations um, and those uh, disproportionately affected by HIV, hepatitis C, and sexually transmitted infections. I'm requesting a waiver to accept this consultant role to support the organization during the transition of the chief of programs, Laura Honeybrooks, um, who's a member of the executive team. She's leaving at the end of August. <clears throat> um, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation did enter into a contract with the health department in January of 2023, 
My role with this contract was um, in the RFP development process, which was in 2019, as you might remember, um, because of COVID and the deployment of all DPH, pretty much all DPH staff, including myself, there was a, um, a pause put on the process. Um, the um, RFP process was completed in terms of the review by an external review process. Um, and in 2022, the contract development began. I left my position in July of 2022. I was not involved with the final contract and budget decisions. I know that I spent a lot of time in my initial visit here talking about my, um, you know, sort of the, what I believe is lack of undue or unfair advantage. But what I, today I really want to talk about is why I'm really excited about this opportunity and why I think um, it would be a, a really great match and also um, how it's a personal hardship. So um, I also wanted to clarify one thing is to, just to say about the volunteering. Um, this opportunity is so important to me that I did indicate to the Ethics Commission staff that I was willing to volunteer initially while going through this Ethics Commission approval process. This is not an indication of the lack of personal hardship. Rather, it really represents my desire to do this work and to support this important agency as soon as possible. So just to clarify that. Um, working as a consultant to support the San Francisco AIDS Foundation is, is actually a dream job for me. It's a dream opportunity. Um, uh, something I've actually been waiting for um, in my years of, of um, working in public health, to work for a community-based organization um, in public health. It, it allows me to continue my commitment to public health, which to me is social justice. Um, that's why I entered public health, and I think it, it, it provides the opportunity to make real and sustainable change in the lives of people affected by HIV, hepatitis C, hepatitis C and STIs, or sexually transmitted infections. Um, as I've talked about in my letters, I've dedicated my, my work life, actually, to addressing the health disparities um, in the communities affected by these diseases, including gay men, trans communities, communities of color, people who use drugs, and people with few resources. And this opportunity gives me a chance to do that, continue that work, but in a different way. Um, as a manager in the health department, um, my role was to work on the, on the systems level, supporting and managing the system. And this would give me an opportunity to work directly with the community in a community-based organization. I'm really excited about that, working close, close to the community. Um, and I, I'm excited about the opportunity to contribute uh, directly to the strong system of care that exists in San Francisco um, and that the San Francisco AIDS Foundation is a part of. Also, one of the values I've held throughout my time here is community engagement. I was um, uh, led the community planning council for many years, um, and um, partnership and public health planning and implementation has always been a priority. Uh, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation has a very strong history of incorporating the um, input and collaboration of communities affected into their work, and in fact, their staff are from the communities. So that's an opportunity for me to continue doing that work side by side um, and really to provide the support to the staff during this transitional time. I also want to point out that um, San Francisco is at a critical time with HIV, hepatitis C, and STIs. Uh, as I mentioned early at the previous meeting, we have the tools to eliminate new infections and care for people, but the social determinants of health, such as poverty, homelessness, racial discrimination, are all barriers to our success. 
and I have the expertise uh, to manage complex systems and provide leadership support that matches the current needs and I think matches the current need of San, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And I think that um, during this time of change, it's a, it's a great opportunity for me um, to help the system as well as you know, to um, pursue something that means a lot to me. Um, the system of care is complex and is vulnerable, and so I think maintaining um, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation is a key, is a key partner with many other community-based organizations, and I believe that um, it's important to ensure the system is supported during the transition of the chief of programs, and importantly, that the staff of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation have continuity during the transition, and I'd like to, to be a part of that. Um, last couple of points. This, I think this opportunity is well suited for a retiree. Um, I have the experience, skills, and dedication, and I have relationships with the communities, um, with, uh, also with um, bodies at the state and the federal level, and I'm willing to work in a part-time, short-term position, and I'm, I'm not sure there's a lot of people who would be willing to do that, so I do think it's a nice match for someone who is retired. Um, I, I'm aware that the criteria also for hardship also includes, you know, opportunities for other positions, and um, I wanted to just acknowledge that, you know, I'm, I find that this is a perfect transitional role as a as a retiree, and that I also um, have been um, have not looked for other opportunities while waiting for this um, this approval, you know, which is important to me. So, given all of those things and my my extreme passion and enthusiasm for this work and my dedication to public health in San Francisco, I respectfully request the Ethics Commission to approve my request for a waiver and allow me to accept this short-term part-time consultant position. I'd like to say that my former supervisor is here, Dr. Susan Phillips. She's the Director of Population Health and the Health Officer for the city. She's here to speak, as is Dr. Tyler Tremier, the CEO of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and other leadership from the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Um, I, there's also someone here from the network of HIV AIDS providers to speak. There are com other community leaders and some are on the phone. I will say there's one person that um, needs to leave soon that's here and there's one person that needs to leave soon that's on the phone. So I'll <laughs> leave you to it, but um, I thank you so much for this opportunity and really appreciate um, the possibility that I may be able to do this work. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ms. Becker, and it's great to see you again. But before we ask your uh, former colleagues and your supporters to speak, I want to ask Mr. Kenning to give us uh, an update before we open up the floor for the public comments. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes, and, and I'll be brief to respect the public commenters who are in line um, and not to repeat uh, what was discussed last month. Um, but the commission does have the authority to grant uh, Ms. Packer a waiver uh, if it finds that not doing so would cause an extreme hardship for her. Uh, the term extreme hardship is not explicitly defined in the code, but the commission regulations do specify the commission may consider uh, Ms. Packer's vocation, the range of employers who she could work for, and the steps taken to find new employment, uh, and any other factors the commission deems relevant. Uh, this allows the commission to take a broad view of extreme hardship and consider any factors uh, that it deems relevant. 
last month, staff had recommended against granting uh, Ms. Packer a waiver uh, based on a narrow view of extreme hardship, limited more explicitly to what is listed in the regulations. However, based on the Commission's precedent of looking more broadly at other relevant factors, uh, specifically in the last meeting, uh, and based on Ms. Packer's supplemental letter, uh, which is attachment two to the staff memo, uh, staff has revised its uh, recommendation. Um, staff currently recommends that the Commission evaluate Ms. Packer's request and supplemental letter, uh, and if the Commission finds that denying Ms. Packer a waiver uh, would cause her an extreme hardship, the Commission uh, should approve that waiver. Uh, as stated last month, uh, regarding the Code's goals of avoiding undue influence and unfair advantage uh, and of promoting the idea that government decisions should be and should appear to be made on a fair and impartial basis, uh, staff still does not believe there are uh, significant risks associated with granting uh, Ms. Packer a waiver in this situation. Um, if the Commission does decide to grant Ms. Packer a waiver, staff would recommend this uh, waiver be granted narrowly and only apply to this position with the AIDS Foundation. Um, thank you, and I'm happy to answer additional questions. Thank you. Um, given the time uh, um, restriction, let us open up for public comment first before we speak. Public comment, please. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Bill Hirsch. I'm proud to serve as the director of the AIDS Legal Referral Panel in San Francisco. I also am proud to serve as a co-chair of the HIV AIDS Provider Network, which is a network of about 30 agencies that contract with the city and county to provide an array of health and supportive services to people who are living with and at risk of HIV. Um, I am also an attorney, and I understand the importance of the rules that you're considering today. I also recognize that the rules provide for a waiver, so I'm here to speak in support of granting the waiver in this instance. Um, it is important to remember that HIV is not over. There are 16,000 people living with HIV in San Francisco, and there are thousands more who are at risk of the virus. Um, this work involves not a one-stop shop. The work involves a complex system of care for some of the most vulnerable folks in the city. The folks that we're working with are not only living with HIV, they are often living with serious mental illness and active substance use disorders, and many of them are homeless. It is a complex system of care, and the city has committed to some goals around getting to zero, getting to zero new infections of, of HIV, zero HIV-related deaths, and more ambitiously, the end of HIV-related stigma. Those are ambitious goals. People like Tracy Packer have been working diligently for decades to advance those goals, and that is part of the reason that San Francisco is the model of care for the rest of the country. It is because of unsung heroes like Tracy Packer. The HIV AIDS Provider Network uh, gives out an occasional award. We call it a Happen Hero Award. It has been given to folks like uh, House Speaker Emerita Pelosi. It is an honor that we bestow on people who have demonstrated a lifetime of commitment to service. And in this instance, you should know that Tracy Packer is one of those heroes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hirsch. Next speaker. 
Good morning, commissioners. My name is Dr. Susan Phillip. I'm the director of the Population Health Division at the San Francisco Department of Public Health. I'm also the health officer in San Francisco. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to come and to present my comments in support of the request by uh, Ms. Packer. I have served uh, as Ms. Packer's supervisor from December 2020 until her retirement. I also have been a longtime colleague working very closely in the areas of sexual health with Ms. Packer for over a decade. And prior to that, uh, as a, a colleague not working with her as closely, but her reputation uh, was well known. I am in strong support of the request, as I said, for, and I would like to just make points in two areas. The first is that, as you have heard uh, from Ms. Packer and um, from Director Hirsch, uh, Ms. Packer has really dedicated her professional career and has developed significant expertise in community health, in sexual health, and in serving uh, populations that are most impacted by conditions such as uh, sexual health and behavioral health uh, and other needs. She has built a national reputation as well as a reputation throughout San Francisco. So is a unique individual in that regard. Um, also, as you heard, uh, director, former director Packer, Ms. Packer, uh, was not involved in the uh, de deliberations and the discussions around the, the contracting process. Uh, her last involvement in this particular RFP with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation was in 2019, and then she served the city admirably during the entire COVID-19 pandemic. So from my personal uh, work with uh, Ms. Packer, I have the utmost confidence in her, uh, in her ethics, in her uh, desire, and her willingness to adhere to the strictest standards set out by this commission, again, as shown by her, um, by her dogged pursuit of, of the process in working with you all and in having full transparency of her, uh, of her interest in working with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. The second point that I would like to make in my position is in, uh, in actual reference to the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, which is an incredibly important partner to the San Francisco Department of Public Health and to the city um, more largely around uh, important issues of sexual health, behavioral health, incredibly large issues that, uh, as we all know, are incredibly important and front of mind right now in the city of, and county of San Francisco. The AIDS Foundation is a nationally and internationally known uh, partner and agency, and its uh, strength and its stability is of, of utmost importance for public health in San Francisco. So um, they provide vital expertise and services, again, to some of the most vulnerable uh, members of our community and to those communities that are disproportionately impacted by uh, sexual uh, health, uh, STIs, HIV AIDS, and behavioral health needs. So just one example of this is, is a year ago, San Francisco was impacted by an outbreak of, of MPOX, formerly known as monkeypox, and San Francisco was able to, to overcome that outbreak on the heels of the COVID pandemic uh, in large part because of partnership of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, their leadership, and as a result, uh, we were able to vaccinate and protect the city. So those are my comments, and I appreciate your time and hearing me. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Philip. Let's switch over to uh, callers from the queue. Uh, take two more callers before we come back to the audience. In okay, the Madam Chair, because we have we have three callers in the queue okay. currently. Please stand by. We'll go to the first caller. 
Welcome, caller. Your three minutes, your four minutes begins now. Commissioners, Chair Lee and fellow ethics commissioners, my name is Mike Shriver, and I'm calling in to most adamantly support the proposal to have the Ethics Committee grant Tracy Packer the waiver so she can work at the AIDS Foundation. I've worked with Ms. Packer for over three decades. Now, either as a health commissioner, as special advisor to the mayor on AIDS and HIV policy under uh, Mayor Willie Brown, and even as the co-chair of the HIV Community Planning Council. And I, some of the words that popped to my mind about Ms. Packer immediately are integrity, uh, vision, and partnership. I think granting Ms. Packer the waiver to work with the AIDS Foundation would be an incredible gift to both the HIV community here in the city, as well as to our efforts to end the HIV epidemic. I cannot think of any reason why Ms. Packer would not be able to do the short-term project with the AIDS Foundation with the utmost of vision and professionalism, and I really hope that you grant her the waiver. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shriver. Next caller, please. Welcome, caller. Your four minutes begins now. I'm sorry, I lost sound. Is this for Vince Chrysostomo? I'm sorry, what was that? Um, I, I lost sound. I, did you just call on me? Yes. You, you're, yes. Your, your, three, your four minutes begins now for your public comment. All right. Um, good morning, commissioners. My name is Vince Chrysostomo. I'm director of aging services at San Francisco, um, San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Um, I'm a person who's been living with HIV since 1985. Um, 30 years ago, I started my paid career in San Francisco. And at the same time, a very... Um, a young, idealistic woman named Tracy Packer was also starting her career at DPH. Over the years, I've watched Tracy serve my communities, the populations I care about, serve San Francisco in ways that will probably go unnamed. Um, I don't think having worked for 30 years, there isn't anybody whose life her work has not impacted. And when I found out about the transitions at SFAF, I had mentioned to someone that God Tracy's consulting maybe we should consider calling her and I was surprised I was pleasantly surprised to know that that was actually in the works and so I want to put forth my um, recommendation that you grant this uh, many people said they would be here if needed to speak on her behalf uh, we are so proud to call Tracy a friend and also the communities that we, myself and my friends who are long-term survivors are around because of the treatment that we got and then that knowledge would be lost. Tracy has this opportunity to give back to our communities in ways that is very seldom seen. And I'm not exactly sure how you define hard, um, extreme hardship, but I think for someone who has served the public and the public health in the past that Tracy has, to not be allowed to serve would be a great disappointment that I just cannot even imagine experiencing. So I hope you will grant this. I hope um, if there's anything that we can do, the community is ready to step up and um, speak in support. And um, again, um, thank you for your time and please grant this request. Thank you. And let's come back to uh, speakers in the room. Let's take the next two callers in room. Here we have, do we have any other speakers? If Hello, my name is Lara Honeybrooks. I am the Chief Program Officer at San Francisco AIDS Foundation. 
SFAF promotes health, wellness, and social justice for communities most impacted by HIV through sexual health and substance use services, advocacy, and community partnership. I urge the commission to consider the important impact that Tracy could have on communities most impacted by health disparities through this short-term temporary role. I believe the definition of extreme hardship must consider the hardship that our communities and programs will face, the same communities that Tracy has dedicated her entire career to serving, should Tracy not be approved to serve as a critical bridge until another programmatic leader is identified and onboarded. This bridge is needed now, and Tracy Packer is not only uniquely qualified to serve in this capacity, but she is also available to begin this work immediately. I reached out to Tracy because I believe Tracy uniquely possesses the skills to support SFAF during this time of transition. She has decades of experience in the HIV, sexual health, and public health, health space. She is passionate about this work. She possesses integrity and humili humility, and she is a systems and strategy thinker. She is a bridge builder, a problem solver, and an amazing tactician. The issues facing our communities, sexual health disparities, preventable overdose death, homelessness, and untreated mental health issues, just to name a few, are staggering, complex, and require multiple mutually reinforcing interventions and supports. The direct service work is incredibly hard, and our staff deserve skilled and compassionate support to further SFAF's mission. The role that Tracy could provide through this waiver would support strained teams and ensure continuity during the transition. I care deeply about SFAF and our communities. A thoughtful transition is deeply needed in this moment for our board, staff, and clients. This role would also support Dr. Tyler Termier, who you'll hear from in a moment in his second year at the helm of SFAF. As I mentioned at the last meeting, Dr. Termier is the first CEO of color in the organization's history. And as we move into the fifth year of our seven-year strategic plan, we need passionate leaders flanking and supporting Dr. Termier's vision for health justice for all. Tracy would be a tremendous asset to SFAF during this moment of transition. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you, Ms. Honeybrooks. Uh, we'll take one more speaker before we switch back to the uh, speakers from in the queue. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Laura Thomas. I'm the Senior Director of HIV and Harm Reduction Policy at the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Uh, in a separate capacity, I also serve on a different uh, city commission, and I just want to say thank you for your service and your thoughtful deliberation. Uh, it's a little odd being in this room on the other side of the microphone. Um, I have worked in HIV in San Francisco for over 30 years, uh, including um, at the Department of Public Health, where I had the opportunity to overlap. Uh, with Tracy Packer for a number of years while I was there. I also served on the HIV Prevention Planning Council while she was managing that for the Department of Public Health. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, her work has been valued and appreciated by the community for many, many years here. And from the San Francisco AIDS Foundation perspective, uh, you know, we have valued our uh, communication and relationship with her over the years, have found her to be someone 
who combines a, a rigorous adherence to the rules and regulations and the highest ethical standards with the compassion and recognition of community challenges and flexibility uh, in working with the community where appropriate. She brings a unique perspective and expertise to the challenges currently facing the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and would have an enormous benefit to our ability to grow our partnerships and programs. Um, the community of people living with and at risk of HIV and our vision uh, for health justice uh, will be best served by her assistance uh, in this time as a consultant. And it seems like it would, it feels to us like it would be a hardship for the community and for our efforts to end HIV in this city if we were not able to bring her on as a short-term consultant in this. Um, with that, thank you. We ask for your uh, approval of a waiver for her. Thank you, Ms. Thomas. Let's go to the speakers from the queue, please. Apparently, we do have one more caller in the queue. Caller, your four minutes begins when you start speaking. Good afternoon. My name is Kyle Temple, and I am Senior Director of the Stonewall Project, San Francisco AIDS Foundation's Substance Use and Behavioral Health Program. I'm here today to advocate in support of Ms. Packer's waiver request. With the departure of our Chief Programs Officer, Laura Honey-Brooks, we who work in programs at SFAF find ourselves at a pivotal moment in what I believe is a similarly momentous point of inflection for the city and county of San Francisco in its ability to fortify its efforts to address the deep need for uninterrupted access to low barrier social services, particularly among our more marginalized community members. By virtue of her demonstrated passion for social justice and her years of experience working in the public health space, Ms. Packer is uniquely qualified to assist SFAF in navigating organizational change while ensuring our services maintain continuity of high quality, low barrier care for the communities we serve. I urge you to support this request. Thank you for your thoughtful consideration of the matter. Thank you. If there's no other callers in the queue, let's go back to members in the room. We have one caller in the queue. Let's take the person in the queue. Oh, okay. We do two and two. Yeah. Oh, no, we don't. Okay. <laughs> now you're back. <laughs> Uh, good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Ben Kabangon. I'm the chief of staff at the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Um, our field in the HIV AIDS sector is one where we grow leaders from within our community. I myself was a client of HIV prevention programs throughout my youth, and uh, today I'm in the leadership team at San Francisco AIDS Foundation. I would not be here and been successful in my leadership development without mentors who can provide core technical skills and help increase knowledge and instill confidence. Um, I've served in HIV community advisory bodies for the past 10 years and was previously the co-chair of the San Francisco EMA HIV Community Planning Council. And Tracy Packer has been a leadership figure for all of us throughout that entire time period and also in my leadership development. We have new leaders in our organization at San Francisco AIDS Foundation who are in need of the technical mentorship that I once received to be successful. Um, these leaders are steering crucial programs aimed at reducing HIV infections, preventing overdose deaths, 
and increasing access to healthcare and social support services for our most vulnerable neighbors in our city. Allowing Tracy to continue to serve our sector, our communities, and our organization will strengthen our program leaders' ability to succeed and thus increasing the impact of our crucial programs and services. So thank you so much for your consideration of this waiver and thank you for your time. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dr. Tyler Tremere, and I proudly serve as the Chief Executive Officer of San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Um, but I'm also here today as a black queer man who's been living with HIV for nearly 20 years. Um, I often approach these things and think whether I should write out the, the perfect uh, statement, but above all, I ground myself in the values I was raised upon, which is um, the power of storytelling. And um, it was, as I woke up this morning thinking about what to say, I was reminded that um, 11 years ago today, um, my grandfather, who was the head of our household um, for, for many reasons, passed away. And one of the greatest lessons that he taught me was the power of community and the power of reaching community through trust and through pushing one another to grow and through very difficult conversations. Um, while I've only been in San Francisco for a year and a half, my partnership with San Francisco Department of Health has been all of those things. In times of public health crisis and social issues facing our city, they have been both a strong partner and challenged us to grow in really difficult ways. And that has been through difficult conversation, um, but through trust building. Trust being a currency um, with the people that we serve and in our ability to get to a day when San Francisco can become the first city to reach zero new HIV infections. And the only way we can do that is by um, strongly investing in the continuity of our programs and services at a really vital time in the epidemic. I believe, um, in sitting here and listening to my own staff and to community members who've been talking passionately um, about Tracy, um, that she is that bridge that I need at my side. Um, my colleagues talked about my role as the first person of color in the 40 years um, of San Francisco AIDS Foundation to take the helm. And um, that is no easy task, as I'm sure you um, may know. Uh, there are many things that have been stacked against um, people of color, and there are very few people of color who lead nonprofits in this space. And I need a team that I can trust, um, a team that uh, can be strong, compassionate leaders, and in this temporary bridge from um, one amazing leader to hopefully the next amazing leader that we will find, um, it would be my honor um, and it would be a disservice if we could not have someone as talented as Tracy joining our team. So thank you so much for your time, for your consideration. Thank you. Um, any other speakers? Commissioners, I do not know Tracy Parker, but in the 80s, I knew a doctor, Dr. Silverman, who created a model. This model has helped our nation, but also helped thousands of people that I worked with when I was at the Presidio. So I had to overcome uh, fighting the military, but I did convince a general that I and another gay man that we could do a lot for those that needed help.
In our case, it was to allow those military personnel who had AIDS to get their retirement money so that they could buy their medication. I believe at that time they were called cocktails. So by listening to fellow San Franciscans, this is what I want to tell you, our commissioners. This is how we uplift one another. If we can help anybody like Tracy Parker by giving her a waiver and uplifting thousands in San Francisco, we, we, we have a very serious uh, pandemic in uh, San Francisco, not only AIDS, but drugs like phenytoin that is like killing thousands of people. And we need experts like Tracy Parker to help us. And um, so, you know, my comments are not like my usual comments, but it's, uh, I'm the director of environmental justice advocacy. I fight for, for this type of issues. I have many LGBTQ friends who I fight for. Uh, they just call me and I stand up and do what I can. So those are my comments. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I see no other public comments. Uh, let's see if we have a motion to either approve or deny the waiver. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Lee. Um, I thank you, Ms. Packer, for your patience with us, um, for your 30 years of service to the city, and for your interest in continuing that service through other means. Um, I'm going to renew my motion to approve the waiver uh, that I had proposed last time and uh, just briefly summarize my reasoning. As the staff memo acknowledges, the commission has broad discretion for how to evaluate extreme hardship. It's not limited to financial hardship. It includes any other factors we deem relevant, and one that I deem relevant is uh, that w what constitutes extreme hardship is informed by the facts and circumstances of the case and what gave rise to the application of this regulation in the first place. And here it seems very clear that there's a very attenuated link between Ms. Packer's role in developing the RFP um, and in the ultimate decision about who received it. Um, and so I don't believe that denying the waiver would vindicate the public's interest and might actually harm it for other reasons. Um, so I um, move to approve the waiver. Second. Um, I second and I'll just add that I echo everything that Commissioner Salahi said and I thank you and all the public speakers for being here to speak and support. Truly nice to hear about the good work that the city has done in this area and I think the AIDS Foundation is lucky to have you being willing to participate. Um, and I'll also second the motion, but I want to give my colleagues a chance to make any comments. Sure, I'd, I'd also like to uh, renew my motion for the reasons that I stated um, at the last meeting. And thank you all for coming. Thank you all. Um, before we take a vote, I just want to ask one more question uh, to Ms. Packer. You mentioned this is for a short-term employment. So were you looking at a specific we were talking about six, about six months. Okay. We thought that that would be about the time to for them to hire a new um, chief of programs or whatever their new title is, and for me to support their onboarding. So something around that time. So I would imagine the motion would be uh, to grant the waiver for a six-month period, and if for whatever reason you need to come back, then you, you can come back. Great. Thank you. 
foreseeable. Is, is uh, six months sufficient, or I don't want to impose an undue burden on, on you to come back just for an additional month at, at the tail end. So it's a great question. To me, it doesn't make a difference. My, my personal view is it doesn't make a difference to whether there's a, a justification for the waiver here whether it's a six-month period or slightly longer than that? To answer your question, I think it's a good one. I mean, it, it can take time to hire people, you know, um, so it may not be, well, I'm from the city. We don't hire people in six months. <laughs> um, we know sorry, that well. But, <laughs> right? And so, um, obviously, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation has a more, um, well, they move faster. Um, so, I mean, if there's room for more time, that would be okay with me because I would be happy to continue. But I also want to adhere to what the commission thinks is best. Yeah, I, uh, I'll make my motion for a nine-month waiver okay. just to build in some flexibility without, yeah. Thank you. But the six months, was that your, that was your initial proposal? I think it was my, <laughs> okay. yeah. I think we just, you know, in, in talking about it, um, I think it was six months that we came up with. Yeah, thank you. And I think I my last motion was specific to the six months. And so I would be voting again if I were to, um, were to be recons reconsidering the time frame. But given that, as part of your motion, you provided six months, I feel comfortable. <laughs> um, this, this was for a limited term, so I, I want to make sure that there's an end date. Otherwise, not you, but people can continue in this position for the next... 50 years. <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> Maybe I can ask Mr. Canning for when when does this restriction actually expire for Ms. Uh, Packer? The, the the contract in this question was entered into in January on January 1st of this year, so after January 1st a waiver wouldn't be necessary. So we don't so, need to give a waiver for longer. So six or I mean you could six still specify six or nine okay. months, but yeah, that would be sufficient. Sure. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So so my motion is to extend the waiver through the through January 2024 and there's no need for a waiver after that point. Roll call, please. Seconded. Oh. It was seconded, right. right? Okay. All right, a motion has been made and seconded in request for waiver for Tracy Packer. Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Vice Chair Finlev? Aye. Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Salahi? Aye. Madam Chair, with four votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Congratulations, and thank you all for all your service to the city. Thank you, and good luck. Okay, uh, let's take a five-minute break. I need a five-minute break, so. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Madam Chair, we are back live. Okay, I now call agenda item number 11, which is audit the division update, highlighting division operations. Colleagues, as you recall, we had asked Ms. Fong to come back to give us an update uh, from her last uh, appearance. So Ms. Fong, oh, floor is yours. Thank you, good afternoon, Charlie, mm -hmm. Vice Chair Finlev, Commissioner Forrest Flang, and Commissioner Soholly. Hope I said that right. <laughs> um, for the benefit of our, our newly uh, our, our newest commissioner, I want to provide a, a, a short overview of what the audit division does. Um, I provided that overview the last time we provided the update, but I think um, just to make sure that you get that same overview, I would just want to take a minute to provide that. Um, so under the city charter, the commission has a duty to audit campaign statements filed with the commission to ensure compliance with laws and regulations. 
And under the city's campaign governmental conduct code, the candidate committees who receive public funds are subject to mandatory audit. And committees that don't receive public funds, they still may be selected for audit at the discretion of the executive director. Um, the commission also uh, is charged with auditing at least uh, one or more lobbyists every year. And with uh, the lobbying audits that we did, well, that we finished this earlier this year, that was our first round of lobbying audits. So we hope to you know, make that part of our, our regular program going forward. Um, besides conducting the mandatory and discretionary campaign audits and lobbying audits, we also are responsible for developing and implementing a post-filing compliance review program for the, the statement of economic interest, or what we all call the Form 700. Um, besides the audits and reviews that we do in providing the oversight that we do, during election season, um, we administer the city's public financing program, where we uh, conduct candidate eligibility for candidates running for the uh, board of supervisor seats and the, the mayor seats, and uh, we coordinate the disbursements of public funds. Um, so with that brief overview of the division, um, I would now like to provide a status of where we are with the audits. Um, since our last update um, back earlier this year, the division has focused on addressing the backlog of outstanding campaign finance audits. The backlog was subject to the Board of Supervisors resolution that was introduced last December. Um, in response to the resolution, the audit division has focused on conducting mandatory audits and also working with the Office of Contract Administration to establish a contract with an external vendor to assist with the backlog of audits that we have. We've been working with OCA since September of 2001, I mean 2021, excuse me. And since the beginning of this year, um, we've made significant steps forward in establishing a contract. Um, as we continue on with the contracting process, we will continue to provide updates to the commission as we move forward. While we continue to work on the contract, we have uh, started to work on the backlogs internally. Specifically, we have conducted two mandatory audits of committees from the 2019 election, uh, three mandatory audits of committees from the 2020 election, started another two mandatory audits from the 2020 election, and shortly we plan to start another audit of a candidate committee from the 2020 election. For the audits that we have completed so far, audit reports are available online now. The remaining mandatory audits from the 2020 election and the 2022 election, those are audits that are planned for the external vendor once we establish the contract. And those specific committees are, uh, they're outlined in the, the staff memo and also uh, available on the website too. And in addition to working on the mandatory audits uh, that I just summarized internally, we 
and assuming that a contract is established by the third quarter of fiscal year 24, we expect to begin planning for the next round of lobbying audits covering the, the 2022 registration and disclosure activity and also continue developing the Form 700 post-filing compliance review program. So that is a short status of where we are. We are working toward addressing the backlog as much as we can until we get the contract established. Um, and with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. I have a couple quick questions. Um, <laughs> The couple areas where you mentioned that no additional com committees have been selected for discretionary audits, is that kind of a staffing issue or, in other words, had, would you like, I don't know how to phrase this, is, was that because of a limitation on resources or there was no kind of reason to audit any additional committees? Since I've joined the commission, um, we were at 25% capacity and that was around the time during the office closure due to the pandemic. and. Um, as of 2019, the election, at that time, that was the last time discretionary audits have been conducted. Since then, uh, we spent a lot of time working through recommendations from the, the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office for the last couple of years. So we focused on that, um, which involved making sure we built the audit division our program to make sure that we have a standardized program going forward that we could rely on. Um, so we focused on that and also developing a lobbying program, which is one of the, the BLA recommendations as well. So staffing plus focusing on the implementation of the BLA recommendations, that's why we have not had the bandwidth to perform discretionary audits and also the backlog of audits that have been built up since then. But going forward, assuming that we work through the backlog, then at some point the, the goal is to get track, get on track with our mandatory audits and then have the bandwidth to conduct discretionary audits. Got it, no, thank you. Then one last, I promise this is quick. For public companies, there are various kind of industry standards for auditing standards, you know, the PCAOB, I think is one. Is there such a thing, sorry, that's a tongue twister. Is there such a thing for political committees or lobbyist committees, like an industry standard of what an audit uh, should cover? Not to my knowledge, in, this, in the same vein that you're referencing, I, I know what you are talking about. Um, for the most part, our audits look for compliance with laws and regulations. And so the, the various uh, testing areas that we look into are ins is ensuring that the committees comply with the laws and regulations in those testing areas. So as far as a standard way to conduct the audit, that, and also you know, what the, the FPPC may have as guidelines too. Right, and I guess each jurisdiction has different laws, so it'd be hard to have a, like a statewide standard given their different disclosure requirements in every jurisdiction. Um, great. Well, thank you. That, that's it. Thank you. Ms. Mm -hmm. um, Fong, thank you. Um, now that we have a uh, new budget uh, with a little bit uh, more security, what is your division staffing looks like? 
there's one manager, me, and three auditors. And that is considered 100% uh, fully staffed. Okay. And at the last, at your last appearance, you, uh, there were some questions, or there were some recommendations that even though you're required to do a minimum of one lobbying firm, uh, I think there was some interest to see if you can scale up to do more than one. So with your 100% staffing, do you see that happening in the foreseeable future? Yes, yes. The, the, the code only requires one, but even our first round of doing lobbyists, lobbying audits, we conducted six. So we don't think conducting one lobbying audit is sufficient to, to get uh, a representation of you know, compliance with laws and regulations. So given the, the activity that we may see during the, the audit period, then we will scope out what makes sense to, to look at and to test. And depending on what we see, that will determine how many audits will make sense to look at, but definitely more than one. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for coming. And um, No no questions? Guess not. Thank okay, you. great. Let's go. Oh, before you go, mm -hmm. we have to go to public comment. Oh, okay. So uh, anyone in the room who wishes to speak? I see none. Let's go to the queue. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Okay. So thank you so much. Thank you. Fall. Uh, let's go to agenda item. Agenda item number 12, which is items for future meetings. Um, none? none? Okay, public comment for agenda item number 12. Madam Chair, we have no public and we have no callers in the queue. Okay, agenda item number 12, public comment for any item that was not on today's agenda. Hello, um, this is Lois Scott again. I just have a question. I know that you're going to adjourn in honor of uh, Charles Marsteller, and I wanted to inquire on, will there be comment at that point, or how, how would one? Coming up, it's coming up after you speak, so. Um, <laughs> Wait, is this a good time for her to make comment on Mr. Marsteller? Oh, you want to hear our? Yeah, uh, of course I want to be here. I didn't know whether. It's coming up. It's coming up. Is there public comment on speak. the adjournment? Um, usually adjournment, we have no comments, but I think what we can do is we can um, make the statement and then we'll have open, we would have public comment and then we will adjourn. Would that Thank be okay? Thank you. Yes. Okay. Can Ms. Scott speak right now if she would like to speak to Mr. No, she may, she may not want to. She may object to our <laughs> comments, so so let's have her hear us first. Okay, no other comment? We have no public and we have no callers in the queue, Madam Chair. Okay, um, uh, colleagues, I wanna close today's meeting in honor of our friend, uh, Charlie Masteller. Um, he was a true friend of the San Francisco Ethics Commission. 
Um, as we knew, he passed away uh, last month. Uh, Charlie uh, was a very special friend to all of us. He was the first person to welcome me um, when I first um, attended my uh, first commission meeting. And his last appearance before this commission was about two, three months ago. He expressed his concern over our ongoing um, discussion on the proposed ballot measure. And he was very interested to hear about uh, any progress we would be making uh, in terms of replacing um, uh, our um, former director. So I like to think that he is smiling on us um, uh, at today's meeting. Uh, seems like his energy was here to help pass the, the ballot measure. And we have a um, new uh, plan to fill the next um, uh, executive director. Charlie was a skilled um, uh, professional uh, and a human being at sharing his thoughts and his ideas uh, in a way that was both uh, well-informed, humble, and respectful. He treated everyone um, in this room, in the office, and in the community. Uh, even those he disagreed with, or even those who disagree with him, uh, with respect, and he listened to what everyone had to say, um, always with a smile on his face. Uh, this was true even during the heated policy debates on major discussions and legislations um, on this commission. He would help set the tone for a civil debate just by being present and setting um, a fine example of the gentleman that he always was uh, to us. Charlie was one of the most consistent stakeholders in the Ethics Commission's policy matters uh, and all of our public engagements. He took interest in a wide array of issues. He engaged in nearly every policy project that the commission undertook. He always had meaningful feedback to give that could help shape policy and move projects forward. This shows both his depth of knowledge and his genuine desire to contribute to improving good government for San Francisco. This commitment extends to the commission's founding in 1993, when as the leader of Common Cause's local chapter in, at the time, Charlie was highly um, involved. He was also very active in Friends of Ethics, which has challenged San Francisco and this commission to improve our practices for years. A major accomplishment for Charlie's was his champion, championing of what became Proposition O. This measure passed on the November 2000 ballot with established new campaign contributions, limits, and public financing. Charlie pushed for the Ethics Commission to act in play, um, and place it on the ballot. 
even after the Board of Supervisor, Supervisors had rejected the measure on a 10 to 1 vote. That measure remains a core feature of our campaign <coughs> finance program to this day. Charlie treated um, the Ethics Commission staff and commissioners as his family, and he regularly visited the commission's office, often sharing news stories and fresh ideas, and, and just sometimes just wanted to drop by and bring a smile and give us energy. Charlie always showed the highest levels of respect and collegiality during these interactions, making him a familiar and welcome face for many years in the office and to this commission. Charlie lived humbly, as we heard today, but he served dutifully. He cared deeply and acted kindly. He will be missed, I will miss his smile, his tap on the shoulder, just to remind me um, what I needed to do as a member of this commission. But always remind me to smile as a human being and be kind to others. His contributions to San Francisco will live on, continuing to shape our city for the better. Uh, and I would propose that we adjourn this meeting in his honor. Before I do, uh, let's see if we have any public comments on this matter. Uh, thank you, President Lee. Those were beautiful comments, uh, and I, I share <laughs> the same feelings. Um, I'm Lois Scott, and I was a neighbor and a friend of uh, Charlie's. Um, and I think I want to share something about, uh, you may not have known that he was an avid coin collector, and it was a way of uh, connecting to history, and it was also a way of financial support. He was a very astute trader in, uh, these coins that they sort of started with his grandfather's collection. His grandfather, I think, had been a solicitor general of the United States, uh, some eminent Washington office. Um, but Charlie bought and sold coins. Um, and he loved his coins. He loved the real ones. And the heart of his collection were the Greek and Roman coins, gold and silver. And he loved them very much, and he would hold them in his pocket. And I think he was kind of communing with some of the people whose faces uh, were on the coins. And he knew all the Roman Empire emperors in order. He knew all the kings of England in order, queens and kings. And he uh, gradually replaced, uh, he, he sold some of these in order to support himself. and. He replaced them with replica coins that were made um, by, I guess, somewhere in China. And he used to have them in his pocket because you, with the replica, he could still feel the face. And you probably never realized what was in his pocket, uh, <laughs> that uh, he was connecting back through the ages. And I wish I now knew which of the emperors he most admired and uh, whose spirit he was communing with. But that's what I feel about Charlie. I hope that, although I don't have coins in my pocket, that we commune with the best of 
uh, our history and uh, our our ideals uh, to continue this, his work. So thank you. Thank you, Ms. Scott. Any my colleagues here this evening express anything? If not, um, agenda item number 14, which is adjournment, and we adjourn in honor and in the remembrance of Charlie Mostella.